So let's, let's pray. I want to open up God's word and then there may be some, some questions coming out of this message and so I want to leave time at the end for, for questions and answers. So let's pray and ask God to meet us. Thank you for sweet worship this morning, Lord. Natasha, Tim, and Natasha's parents, thank you for them leading us. Thank you that the this words of these songs are truth about you. That you, God the Father, is revealed in Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. You are true. And we're not, not just here to, to do religious ritual or to play games, but we want to meet you, the living God. We've already done that, Lord, through worship and through your gifts, and I pray that we would do that now through your word. Lord, that you would come. That you would bring this word and plant it deep into our hearts that you'd overcome unbelief or pride or confusion or anything that might be in the way and that your word would be planted deep into our hearts and would bear good fruit. So come and do that. I need your help. Help me to be faithful to the scriptures and do a mighty work in me and in all of us as we come before your word now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I have three more sermons here with you. And what I want to do in these three sermons is pass on three crucial truths that have impacted me over the years. Just kind of pass them on, like passing on a baton. I mean, you've, you've heard these truths over the years, but I want to pass them on one more time. And so today I'm going to talk about living by faith. In Jesus Christ. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, talking about Christ-centered community. And then the 22nd, our last Sunday, talking about Christ-glorifying mission. So today, living by faith. And what I want to pass on to you about living by faith is found in the faith chapter, which is Hebrews chapter 11. So go ahead and turn there. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to point out a couple of crucial truths. Now, if you need a Bible, raise your hand because we want to bring one to you. My job as preacher is to point you to the scriptures. I want to introduce you to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to have you meet Hebrews 11 this morning. So if I'm faithful in pointing out what Hebrews 11 is saying, then I've done a good job. So these are the most important words that you're going to come into contact with this morning. And in the Bibles we just passed out, Hebrews 11 is on page 1007. So go ahead and turn there. Let me give you some background before I, I dig into the topic about why this topic of living by faith is so important to me. The summer before my senior year of high school, I was down in Southern California, 1972, and I was a church-going kid, but I was, I was, looked good on the outside, looked good, moral, whatever, leader of the youth group, blah, 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 but inside I was proud, I was rebellious, didn't know God, I went to church because I had to and make the, mess, make the best of it, make the best friends you can, whatever, and I was a sinful, rebellious, ornery man on the inside. But God, because of Jesus Christ's love for me, God had mercy on me. And he brought his power upon me that summer. And he changed my heart. And he gave me faith. And he opened my eyes. And I saw Jesus. And I loved Jesus. I loved his forgiveness for me through the cross and his resurrection, which would mean I'd be raised from the dead. And his presence with me. And I, I was absolutely transformed. I remember one night lying in bed, just worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just started to weep with joy that I knew him and that he loved me and that he'd saved me and I would be with him forever. And I was absolutely transformed from the kind of heart I had before he saved me to 
what happened when he saved me. I was saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way we can be saved. But even though I was saved by faith, for some reason I hadn't figured out that, we, that we're supposed to live by faith. I'm sure I'd been taught that. I just probably didn't pick it up. But I did not understand that we're supposed to live by faith. And so I, I just thought you lived by willpower. I mean, that's how I'd done everything else in my life. Right? You just choose to do it. And so if I was, for example, struggling with patience, and I knew that Jesus wanted me to be patient, so I would just try to chill, take a deep breath, try to be patient. Or if I didn't love someone, I would just, I know he wants me to love people, I'll just try to love people, or whatever it was. But what I discovered was that while my willpower could often change my outer actions, my willpower could not change my heart. I couldn't make myself love someone if I didn't, if I was angry at him. I mean, I could act loving, but the heart's going, you know, you know how that is, right? I mean, I could act patient, take a deep breath, but that frustration wouldn't leave. And so what I found was that my willpower wasn't able to change my heart. And so sin started to grow in me because my willpower was powerless against sin. My heart for God started to weaken and diminish because I couldn't stir that up just by my own choosing and I became more and more far from God, more and more sinful and more and more discouraged. And then I went to seminary, which might sound like a funny choice to make, but I knew God wanted to have me be a pastor and I took some of my dad's classes. And one class in particular, I think it was called Gospel and Law, And he showed passage after passage from Scripture that the way we live the Christian life is by faith. We're saved by faith, and we live by faith. The Christian life begins by faith, but it also continues by faith. And he showed me Scriptures, not just that we are to live by faith, but he showed me Scriptures about how it is that we live by faith, what it means to live by faith. And as I started following those passages things he was teaching me, the Holy Spirit started to change my heart. What my willpower couldn't do, the Holy Spirit did as I was living by faith. Love for Christ started to grow again. Power over sin started to grow again. Sense of God's nearness started to increase in me. And and best of all, he gave me times, it wasn't constant, but there were times when I so sensed his nearness and his presence, I was so filled, so satisfied, I didn't need anything else. Because I had him, and he'd completely filled and satisfied me. And all of that came, not by dedication, willpower, mostly, it came mostly by living by faith. And that's what I want to pass on to you today from Hebrews chapter 11. What I want to do is point out three truths about faith and living by faith from this chapter. And then we can ask some questions and and let the Lord dig this into our hearts even more. Here's the first truth. I've already said it. The Christian life is to be lived by faith. I mean, you might think that's obvious, but, but think a little deeper. I mean, how are we supposed to live this Christian life? If you are struggling to be motivated in some area of your Christian life, what do you do? You just try harder? If you have an area of sin that is constantly conquering you, what do you think the problem is? What do you think you need? And I've heard many answers given over the years. Back in the 70s, 80s, self-esteem is kind of the big thing that was touted as what's most important. And then there's kind of mixed in with that was, well, just be more 
surrendered to Christ. Just be more devoted to Christ. That's the key. If you're struggling, you just got to be more committed. Or believing who you are in Christ has, has been popular as well. There's been various different answers given. But Hebrews 11 gives a different answer. You can't miss it. You just start reading Hebrews 11 through. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Verse 9. By faith, he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And I'll stop there. You get the idea? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. It's all through this chapter. The first two words of each of those verses are the Greek words by faith. So the author of Hebrews It's not hard to figure out. He wants us to understand how we live the Christian life. How do we live the Christian life? By faith. It's crystal clear. So the Christian life doesn't just start with faith and then graduate on to something else. The Christian life starts and continues by faith alone, in Christ alone. But there's a problem. And I think many Christians think that they're living their lives by faith. I mean, we think, well, I'm a Christian, aren't I? And I'm living, aren't I? So because I'm a Christian and I'm living, I must be living by faith, right? But see, in many cases, all we're doing is, is living by our own willpower and then just calling it faith. Think about it like this. Let's go back to the issue of patience or impatience. If you find yourself impatient tomorrow while you're stuck in traffic, and you know you're supposed to be patient, right? Jesus calls us to be patient. What do you do? Do you just try to, okay, I'm supposed to be patient. I'm just going to try to be patient here. I'm supposed to be patient. Fuller, be patient. Is that what you do? There's nothing of faith in that. That's just willpower. That's not by faith. And how much of our Christian lives, then, are lived just simply by willpower? Just in our own strength, in our own decision, in our own devotion, discipline, trying to do the things we're supposed to do. Ask yourself that question. See, but Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Rahab and going down through the list, Noah, they all lived by faith. Faith was something they did. And by means of that faith, they lived. They were patient. They obeyed. They fought sin. They loved other people. They advanced the gospel. They did all the different things God called them to do by faith. Are you living by faith? Is that how you live? Now, for us to understand that, we need to be clear on what faith is. 
I've just said faith isn't just you choosing to do what you're supposed to do. Anybody can do that. Believer, unbeliever, right? Anybody can do that. That's not faith. So what is faith? Faith means, in this passage we're going to see this, it means trusting that because of Christ, God will reward those who seek him. Look at verse 6 of chapter 11. This is such a powerful statement here. Here's what he says. Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the author here says it is impossible to please God apart from faith. The way Paul puts it in Romans 14, 23, he says whatever is not from faith is sin. It's the flip side of the way the author puts it here. Here, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Then he explains why that's true. He says if you're going to draw near to God and be accepted, welcomed into God's presence, you must believe that he is, it's obvious, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So what that means is that faith, the faith that pleases God, faith means believing that God rewards those who seek him. An essential part of faith is looking to God for the reward. It's not an optional part of faith. It's not just the frosting of the cake of faith. It's the substance of faith is looking to God for the reward. Faith means trusting that God will reward those who seek him. And see, that's why the Bible's full of promises. Promises describe the wonderful things God does for us, the rewards, the ways that God rewards us. Promises show how God will reward us. And so what's the focus of God's promises? What is the reward? What do all the promises focus on? Not health, not wealth, not earthly comfort. That's small potatoes. That's weak sauce, okay? We can see what the reward is in chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Look at what Abraham was looking to as by faith he lived in the promised land. Read verses 9 and 10. By faith he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Okay, by faith, two words, first words of verse 9, meant that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. He's looking forward to heaven. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Abraham lived in the promised land by faith because he was looking to the reward of the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What is that city? It's heaven. Okay? And what makes heaven so great? Why would Abraham be looking forward to that city, wanting that city, loving that city? What's so great about that city? Chapter 13 Chapter 12, verse 14, is one way you can explain that, answer that question. Look at chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
Here, heaven is summed up as seeing the Lord. End of Revelation, we will see him. 1 Corinthians 13, here we see through a mirror dimly, there we're going to see face to face. The prize, one of the ways it's described all through the scriptures is seeing God. Now let me explain why that's so important. We're all wired, we're all designed so that we find our highest pleasures, joys in seeing, beholding greatness, majesty, beauty. Those are our highest joys. That's why people travel to Dubai, right? Just an hour north of Abu Dhabi to see the world's tallest building, right? Or why people travel to India to see the Taj Mahal. Whoa, the greatness of that. Or why people travel to, where's your favorite spot? Grand Canyon, Yosemite to see the Half Dome, whatever it might be. So we are wired to find our greatest joy and pleasure and satisfaction in seeing greatness. And God, revealed in Christ, is the greatest greatness in the universe. The infinitely greatest greatness, majesty, beauty, glory is found in God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ, which means that your infinitely greatest joy is in seeing God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ. Just give me, let me give you some tangibles to to latch onto here. Think about seeing Jesus when he was on earth and there's a man lying paralyzed in front of him, paralyzed from birth, and Jesus says, rise, take up your pallet and go home. And Jesus' words, the power in those words, he rises and he walks home. Power. Think of seeing Jesus with compassion. I mean, thousands of people are clamoring for his attention. The disciples are trying to you know, have them back off. And he's welcoming little children onto his lap to bless them and pray for them. The disciples are saying, no, Jesus, you're too busy. Jesus says, let the children come. The compassion the love to care for the children. Or think about Jesus' justice and wrath. He walks into the temple. Money changers, sheep being sold, three for it all are here. You know. And Jesus is justly, righteously enraged, throws over the tables of the money changers, drives them out of the temple. Justice, holiness, righteousness. And then think of Jesus' love. Looking at you, looking at me as men and women who have turned our backs on him, who have scoffed at him, who have mocked him, who have dishonored him, and he walked to Jerusalem knowing what awaited him, knowing that the cross was there, and he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, and he suffered every moment of the cross until he could say, it is finished because he loved you. He gave himself up for you. Power, compassion, justice, love, And the list just goes on and on. The greatest greatness in existence, the most beautiful glory in existence anywhere in the universe is God as he's revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And so your greatest joy, your highest pleasure is found in seeing God, beholding God revealed in Christ. And as believers who are trusting Christ, God gives us tastes of that now in this life. We have tastes. 
and then heaven will be the full banquet spread for us. So faith means trusting that God will reward those who seek him with more joy in beholding him now and forever. But this all raises a crucial question. I've alluded to it, but let me just deal with it straight on. We're sinful people. We deserve to be driven out of the temple by Jesus, right? God's holy, just, righteous. God can't respond favorably to any sin. He's perfectly holy, pure, righteous. We are, at our best moments, still tinged with sin. And at our worst moments, we're full of sin. So how can God respond favorably towards us and reward us? It's not by you trying to be good enough to earn it. You don't have the power to do that. I talked about willpower can't change your heart. You might look good on the outside, but Jesus said whitewashed tombs on the outside, full of dead men's bones, rotting flesh on the inside. So the only way God can reward us is because he had mercy on us and he sent his own son, delivered him up for us all to the cross and Jesus was willing to go to the cross and suffer the cross to pay for our sins. And so the moment you look to Jesus with faith, even when there is sin battling in your heart, you look to Jesus by faith and that moment you can be assured you're completely forgiven for all of your sin and you're clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness And when God looks upon you, he sees Jesus' perfect moral righteousness covering you, and God's moving towards you with pleasure, with love, with passion, with delight, with affection, with care, because he sees you clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. This is the best news in the world. Anybody here who's thinking, I've sinned too much for any of this to be true for me, you have not sinned too much for this to be true true of you. Just look to Jesus Christ by faith. All you bring to the table is your sin, Okay, and that's one of the requirements. Blessed are the rich in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No, 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 no. The rich in spirit don't get to come. Only those who see, I am poor in spirit. Jesus says, welcome. Yes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so you come with your sin, aware of your sin, aware of your past sin, aware of your present sin. You say, Jesus, I'm looking to you. I'm trusting you. Help me. Assured of forgiveness, clothed with this perfect righteousness, God's going to be rewarding you. That's how it works. We bring our sin, he brings his mercy, we're humbled, he gets the glory, we get the joy, it's a very sweet deal. So that's how he's able to reward sinful people like us. So according to Hebrews 11.6, here's what faith is. Faith means trusting that because of Jesus Christ, because of his goodness, his righteousness, not our own, faith means trusting that because of Jesus Christ, God rewards those who seek him. That's faith. So you can go back through this passage, by faith, by faith, by faith. You could say, by trusting that God will reward him, by trusting that God would reward her, by trusting that God would reward him, by trusting that God would reward her. That's the meaning of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, so if that's what faith is, then what does it mean to live by faith? That's the third truth. That means a lot more than just what I'm going to say here, but this is at the very core of it. Living by faith means fighting to see God as our reward. Look at verses 24 to 26. I want to illustrate this for you from the life of Moses. Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. Here's the background. Remember, Moses was of the people of Israel. 
people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, suffering horribly there, oppressed by the Egyptians. But Moses was adopted at a very early age into Pharaoh's family. So here's Moses in Pharaoh's household with every luxury you could imagine and fabulous wealth, raised in the epitome of privilege and prestige. And so there's Moses, luxury and wealth. There's the rest of God's people suffering in poverty. And God says to Moses, Moses, leave Pharaoh's household, leave the luxury, leave the wealth, and join your people in their slavery and their suffering. And Moses obeyed. How did he obey? Verses 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ. That's that's a phrase meaning suffering with Christ's people. So he, he considered the reproach of Christ, that is suffering with Christ's people, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. How did Moses obey? First two words of verse 24, by faith. That's how he obeyed. He didn't just try hard. I'm supposed to do this. God told me I'm supposed to. I don't want to, but I'm supposed to. It's not what he did. It was, it was by faith. And we can see what by faith meant in the last seven words of verse 26. For he was looking to the reward. Faith is trusting that God, because of Jesus, will reward those who seek him with more joy in him forever. Moses was looking to the reward. Just like Abraham did, the city which has foundations, whose author and designer is God. So, so picture what's going on here. So over here is the lavish wealth of Egypt. Moses had grown up there. Wealth, luxury, privilege. Over here is suffering with God's people. Slavery, broiling hot Egyptian sun, making bricks, whips, taskmasters. Difficult. And, and Moses looked at the the wealth of Egypt and the suffering of being with God's people, wealth of Egypt, suffering of God's being with God's people, and he saw that this was greater wealth, that suffering with God's people was greater wealth than the wealth of Egypt. This is greater wealth than the wealth of Egypt. That's what he saw. Now, how? Was it just like Well, this is what I'm supposed to think. You know, I'm supposed to believe that this is greater wealth. It's not what happened. It was by faith. It wasn't just because of his willpower or his devotion or his dedication. It was because he was looking to the reward. He'd had times when he was worshiping Yahweh, God of Israel, as revealed through creation, as revealed through Abraham. He'd had times of worshiping him, fellowshipping with him, talking with him, communing with him. And when he beheld God, when he fellowshiped with God, when he knew God, his heart was infinitely more filled than it ever was filled by the wealth of Egypt. He knew God was his joy. And he knew that if God was calling him to leave 
Egypt's or leave Pharaoh's household and become part of God's people. This was the pathway on which he would continue to experience God as his joy. This was the path where he would experience God. Not that path. To disobey God and to go back here would mean not experiencing God in his joyful, heart-filling, satisfying presence. But to, to walk the path of obedience to God meant, I'm looking to the reward. I want God. I've tasted. He's my joy. He's my pleasure. I want him. And so by faith, Moses obeyed, saw suffering with God's people as greater wealth than the wealth of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. For some reason, way too many Christians today have the idea that we really shouldn't focus that much on the reward. I don't know where we get this idea. It's all over the Bible. Now, we don't earn rewards. Rewards are not given to us because of how good we've been. If it's up to our our goodness, we'd get no rewards. We'd only get punishment forever, right? Or are we clear on that? But God mercifully has chosen through Jesus' death on the cross to reward our undeserving faith and obedience with more joy in him forever. So it's undeserved rewards. And that's what motivates us. Why did Moses obey God? He wanted more of the reward. What what do you use to motivate you to obey Christ? Do you use the reward? Do, because... Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Rewards are not just like off to the side somewhere. Well, if you really need to be motivated that way, go ahead. But we really shouldn't be motivated by rewards because as long as you understand the reward is not health or wealth or small potatoes like that. Wealth is God. God himself as revealed in Christ. And that's how Moses obeyed. Now, there's a question here. What happens when you don't see the reward? Moses saw the reward. He said, God, I see you. You are my prize. You're my treasure. I'm leaving Egypt. I'm going where the wealth is going to be. Suffering with God's people because you'll be there. Moses saw it. That's why he obeyed. But how often do we not see it? For me, many times each day. Because sin clouds our, our vision, our spiritual vision. So we're thinking money's better than God. We're thinking, you know, whatever. I mean, pride, prestige is better than God. We're thinking revenge against my friends is better than God. We're, you know, we're thinking promotions, careers, all this kind of stuff is better than God. So often our sin is blinding us to the reward. And Moses would have experienced that too. He was a sinful man just like we are. So here's the question. What do we do then at those times when we're just, we're not seeing the reward? I'm sorry, God. I'm just not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. I'm just seeing the reward of Egypt. We're all there most of the time, right? I mean, are you, this is really important for you to understand. Are you, are you there most of the time? Okay. I'm not the only one, in other words, right? This is very important that some of you looked a little troubled that I just said that. Okay. Are, are you with me? All right, so we're all there most of the time. So what did Moses do and what do we do? Now, here's where willpower does come in. Willpower plays a crucial role in the Christian life. Here's where it comes in. What Moses would have done is exercised his willpower to turn to God just as he was. Yahweh, God, I'm not seeing the joys of knowing you. All I'm feeling now is I want the luxuries. I want the comforts. Help me. And he would have been assured because of God's mercy displayed through the animal sacrifices, picturing what the Messiah would do. He would have been assured of forgiveness. Thank you. 
Yahweh for forgiveness. And he said, Yahweh, now change my heart. I'm not seeing you. My pride, my sin is clouding my vision. I'm just not feeling it at all. Help me. And then he would have opened up what he had of the scriptures. Creation, right? Story of Abraham. He would have meditated on the, on the scriptures that he had. And he would have recounted God's mighty works. And he would have prayed, God, help me. Help me to see you. He would have opened up God's word again, meditated some more, thought some more, pondered, prayed some more. And he would have kept fighting the fight of faith until he experienced God. Oh, starting to change his heart. I'm seeing it. I'm feeling you. You are glorious. You are awesome. Yes, you are better than the wealth of Egypt. Yes, this is better wealth than Egypt. Yes, I'm going to follow you. He was fighting to see God as his reward. That's how Moses would have obeyed by faith. So see, the Christian life does take effort. It takes huge effort. Don't misunderstand me. But we don't focus our effort on trying to feel the right things, trying to do the right things. I'm just going to try to go. I'm going to just love. That's just all willpower. We focus our effort and our energy on praying and meditating on God's word until we experience the Holy Spirit changing our hearts. So we want to do those things and so we feel the right things and so we love the enemies around us and so we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you see the difference? I really should be more patient. I know I'm, I'm going to work on it. Just try to be more patient. Just, see, that's just willpower. But Father, come. Change my heart. Show me all that I have in you. Show me that you're in control of this commute right now. You're in charge of my schedule. You're going to take care of these things. And I've got heaven forever with you. When you see that, will you feel patient? Absolutely. When you don't see that, will you feel patient? Absolutely not. The key is seeing God as your reward. So living by faith, the crucial part of it means fighting the fight of faith, means praying, meditating on God's word, until by the work of the Holy Spirit we once again see and feel God is revealed in Christ as our prize, as our treasure. I love you. I see you. Thank you. You've helped me once again. And when we see clearly who God is as revealed in Christ, we will love others. Because your heart will be so full, it will overflow in love for other people. You've experienced this, those of you who know Christ. You've had those times where God has so filled your heart, you just loved other people because you were so full, right? You'll experience that. And you will love to pray and read God's word because you want even more of the reward of seeing and feeling who God is. And you'll turn from sin because why settle for the lesser pleasure of sin and sacrifice the greater pleasure, the greater joy of knowing God? Why would I want to do that? Because you'll be tasting the greater joy of who he is and so you'll turn from sin. When this happens, you'll reach out to the lost because you'll want them to experience the reward you're experiencing. And you'll also know that if there's pushback, if there's persecution, you'll just get more reward for that. So total win-win. You have nothing to lose. So you'll advance the gospel. You'll have compassion for babies that are going to be aborted. You'll have compassion for the unreached peoples. You'll have compassion for the poor and the oppressed, the unemployed. Because you have so much in Christ, your heart will just go out in compassion to the needy around you. And you will do things because you'll be moved by the fullness of heart. You'll, you'll move out in bold ventures to advance the gospel and to, to care for the suffering in risky ways. Because you'll know your joy is secured through the cross in heaven forever. You have nothing to lose, everything to gain. Time is short. Eternity is long. Let's go. But see, 
that doesn't come from just you trying hard. It comes from you coming before the Lord and saying, show me your glory. Enlighten the eyes of my heart. Wake me up. Show me wonderful things from your law. Satisfy me in the morning with your loving kindness. It comes from coming before the Lord, needy, weak, sinful, saying, help me, and then opening up God's word and praying over the scriptures until you experience God changing your heart so that you're tasting once again. Him is your reward. Now, let me give you one concrete takeaway this morning, and we'll get some questions. There's one thing I want to encourage you to do. There's lots of implications to this, but here's one one takeaway. I want to urge you, every morning, before you do anything else, set aside time where you put everything else aside, and you sit at your desk or on your couch or wherever you are, and you open up God's Word, and you pray, and you ask God to come, and you ask God to teach you, and you ask God to fellowship with you and to open your eyes and to show you his glory once again. I want to encourage you to do that. Now, why first thing in the morning? You might say, Jan and I were talking about this yesterday. What about, what about the people here? Who, I'm not a morning person. You've you got to figure that out. Maybe, maybe morning isn't the best time. But, but consider this. Um, doesn't it make sense that, that before you go into battle, you get fully armed? That makes sense, right? I mean, why put your armor on after the battle's over? I never could, okay? All right, so opening up God's word, praying over the scriptures, you're putting on the shield, you're putting on the belt, you're getting the sword, right? Makes sense? So if you're not a morning person, okay, it's better to have your armor on and be sleepy heading into battle than not have your armor on and be sleepy heading into battle, right? I just So... Okay, let's consider that. I'm a morning person, so maybe that's just, I'm biased. But, but I would encourage you, so much more helpful to head into the day having met the Lord, having seen Him, having beheld Him, having your heart filled up by Him. Now let me give you an example from George Mueller. George Mueller founded many orphanages in England in the 1800s, funded them, credible ministry, Here's what sustained him. Here's how he lived by faith. I've got this quote from him. Here's what he said. Is it up here? Thank you. I saw more clearly than ever, he said, that the first business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord, to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation on it, that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, so that my heart might be brought into experiential communion with the Lord. Don't you love that? The first thing I did, after having asked the Lord's blessing upon his precious word, was to begin to meditate on the word of God, searching as it were into every verse. I love that picture searching into every verse. Oh, I'm hungry. Any food here? I'm searching. I'm a miner. Any gold here? Okay? Searching, as it were, into every verse to get blessing out of it for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result of this is that my inner man almost invariably is even sensibly, that means experientially, nourished 
and strengthened, and that by breakfast time, with rare exceptions, I am in a peaceful, if not happy, state of heart. Let's learn from George Mueller. So faith, the Christian life is lived by faith. Faith means trusting that God, because of Jesus, will reward you now and forever with even more joy in his glory as you seek him. That's what faith means. And so a crucial part of living by faith is fighting to see God as your reward. Every morning, I've got to fight that. I tell you, every morning I wake up feeling glum and discouraged and insecure and fearful. And so I just go to my desk, open up my Bible and say, here I am again, weak, sinful, unbelieving, help me. And he does, morning after morning after morning after morning. Okay, so what questions does this raise? How do you live the Christian life? By faith. What is faith? Faith means trusting that God, because of Jesus, will reward those who seek him with even more joy in him now and forever. And then how do you live by faith? A crucial part of it is fighting to see God as your reward. What questions does this raise? Going, going, going. Ann, go ahead. Let's bring a mic up to Ann. Thanks, Chuck. Okay, so I have one too. You are? Um, yeah, yes. Um, All right. Okay. <laughs> but, um, I'll just say this. I've talked Yeah. Thank you. Good question. Yeah, young moms with kids. Oh man, schedule just is destroyed, right? Any semblance of structure gone, right? So, moms, how is it working for you? How did it work for you? How could it have worked for you? Let's hear from the moms. Yes, ma'am. Rochelle. Here's comes the mic. Nap time. Okay. Nice. Yes. Amen. And he'll give you everything you need in those 15 minutes, right? Absolutely. Nice. Excellent. Okay. Others. How'd this work for you? How is it working for you? Josie. <laughs> Tell us. Um, I guess in my, it, I kind of, the, the idea is that um, the Bible is the most valuable thing you do today. Most valuable above everything else. If walking to the Lord is what you're created for, then reading the Bible is really the most important thing. So if you need to, priorities can be rearranged for the most valuable thing you have to do. Good. I remember hearing 
Can't, let's start back here. Yes, ma'am. Nice. Out loud. Nice. Nice. So just take advantage of those those moments. Good. I, I remember hearing counsel uh, a mom who just left her Bible open on the kitchen counter. Okay, and so she would just walk by and take a little quick look as she is, and then a quick look walk by it. But again, so just. Fill it in. Any, any other thoughts on that question before we have any other questions? Really, really good question to raise, Anne. Thank you. Okay, other questions? Christian life is lived by faith. You buy that? Are we accurate with that? Minglan. Basically, young wasn't Yes. Kayla wants to wants to Yes. Right. Very good. Thank you, Kayla. Back here, Karen. Jerry, Karen Walton, right there. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Great suggestion. Worship music is such a gift. Tapes. Wasn't a track. Okay. All right. LPs. Okay. We understand. Right. Okay. Any other questions besides that one? I don't want to take too much. Yes, sir. John. Yes. If you're pursuing something, how do you how do you know without a doubt that you are pursuing something that is godly, or that you really know you're conforming with God's will in pursuing? Well, it's a really important question. Good question. Um, and there's and there's more answer that question deserves, and we'll have time to to share here. Um, but let me just throw out a simple, and maybe somebody else can help with this too, but just a simple rule of thumb that I use, and that is, 
is, is the main reason I'm pursuing this because I want more of God? I mean, if, if we're to live by faith, and if faith means trusting that God, because of Christ, will reward us, then that means that everything I do should be done for the reward that God has, the reward of himself. Right? He is the prize. Every promise is pointing to him. So, so I think everything I do should be done for the sake, ultimately, of wanting more of him. And if there's something that I'm, where I'm not pursuing it because I want him most of all, then there's a problem. It might not be a, an obvious, a, a clearly sinful thing, but I could be doing it from sinful motives. So that's just one little answer that I'd give that kind of integrates in with the message from this morning. Now, maybe that's not what you're asking. Or does anybody else want to, what are some other rules of thumb that you use for discerning whether, whether what you're doing is God's will or not? That's, that's the question you're asking? Yeah. Any other ways you'd answer that over here? Yes, sir. Right. And um, when that happens in your life, especially when you're really tested, mm. it's really obvious. Yes. Yeah, when, when, the, when there's that sense of the presence of the Lord bringing you peace, that is a beautiful assurance that you're, no matter how turmoiled things may be around you, that's powerful. Okay, we can talk more about that afterwards, but in light of time, we should wrap up at this point. So here's my final word to you uh, this morning, and that is, we're called to live the Christian life by faith. So let your willpower be focused on fighting the fight of faith. Faith means trusting that God, because of Christ, will reward you as you seek him with more of himself now and forever. And there's many, many times during the day where we just don't see that as a reward. Other things seem much, much more interesting to us. And so a crucial part of living by faith is fighting to see God as the reward. And when you pray... And when you open up the word, and when you fight to see and to feel and to behold who God is, he will always meet us in his perfect time to the degree and, 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 and the timing that he sees as best. He will always come and help you and strengthen you and change your heart. He promises to do that. And so my encouragement to you is to take time every day, if at all possible at the beginning of the day, getting your armor on, where you put everything else aside, And you come and you sit at Jesus' feet and you listen to his word and you pray and you meditate and you search for food for your soul in the scriptures and he will give it to you and he will fill you and he will meet you and he will satisfy you. And then your heart will be full so that you'll be patient on the commute. You'll love your boss. You'll work hard at your job for his glory. You'll be patient with your kids. When you sin, you'll turn back and you'll be assured of forgiveness again and you'll fight the fight of faith again and be filled up again. But you'll start with a full reservoir and it makes a huge difference. So start your day fighting the fight in the word with prayer. Let's pray together. I pray, Lord, that this week, this week, for some of us here, this would be a breakthrough. This would be turning over a new leaf. This would be a new beginning. Maybe the the rhythm of spending time with you has dissipated, has declined, and I pray that you would stir it back up this week because of your word today. I pray that each one here this week would have meaningful, rich time where they meet you, the living God, through Jesus, in your word, through prayer. I pray that you would do that and that you would fill and satisfy as you promised to do and enable us then to live by faith as we head into the day. 
And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.